give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! While the Raptors' road to a championship may have ended in disaster last week, Balling in the Six will continue to bring you coverage of the two conference finals and beyond. Of course, it's been pretty objectively excellent so far. We saw Anthony Davis's delicious buzzer-beating three to down the Nuggets' resistance, and we saw the Celtics with Gordon Hayward back in the bubble take a crucial Game 3 and slash the deficit by half against the Miami Heat. With me to discuss it, I have Varel Agisi. Varel, welcome to the podcast once again. Appreciate the introduction, Kamel. This week has more than made we suffered last week as Toronto fans with their uh, dumping out of the playoffs. The Eastern Conference would be a very good place to start just because, of course, we have the Toronto Conquerors in the Boston Celtics going into a series with the Heat where we didn't really know what to expect. I had the Heat as favourites, but Again, I wasn't expecting it to be any sort of blowout. I was expecting a very close series. And indeed, it has actually been a very close series. But despite that, there, was, there were many moments in the most recent game, in Game 3, where it looked like, especially going into the fourth quarter, where Boston would potentially be down 3-0, despite how competitive they've looked. So let's start off with that game. Any immediate takeaways for you, uh, Kamel, when it comes to the three games we've witnessed so far? Yeah, I mean, um, ideally, I think game three was somewhat of an anomaly, uh, as you say, and the Celtics would easily have been 3-0 down. But um, I think I said at the start of the series, after game one, that, oh, wow, you know, everything went right for Miami and they just managed to eke out a win. But in game three, you know, Miami had to play pretty terribly on both ends of the floor in order for the Celtics to take a game back, right? They shot 27.3% from three. That's considering that the Heat are an above-average team from beyond the perimeter. They usually shoot 38%. Actually, one of the best in the league, Kamel, top five. Yep, 38% they usually shoot, and they average 17 made threes a game. You know, they have Tyler Harrow, Jay Crowder, Duncan Robinson, etc. But this game only shot 27.3%. And despite Boston's uh, elite perimeter defense, that's not going to happen in the coming games. And secondly, their paint defense just wasn't as effective as usual. The Celtics scored 60 points in the paint in Game 3. It's the most of any playoff game, including uh, several brilliant offensive performances against the Raptors. So, um, you know, and and, and it meant they shot almost 50% from the field overall. I I just think the Miami won't play play that badly in Game 4. I think it took, it's almost going to be an anomaly if the Celtics win now just because what we've seen in games one and two for Miami in terms of, firstly, their depth, and secondly, uh, their closer in Jimmy Butler, um, and their ability of their, well, if you mention the depth again, their ability of their role players to show up uh, in clutch minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's a recipe for success, really. Yeah. Um, as much as I agreed with you, uh, with the general sentiment there, Kamel, there are at least two things that I quite heavily disagree with and that is firstly the fact that we're looking at this Miami Heat team and you're saying oh they're not going to be shooting 38% from the full 27% from three again but it sounds very similar to the kind of discussions we were having 
in the Toronto Raptors series. Of course, the Raptors were also a very good three-point shooting team, and they had uh, multiple off nights. And we can't we can't say, oh, that, that's just an anomalous result because they did it more, like, at least in three of those games against the Raptors. The Raptors shot extremely poorly. It was really a series all about defense. And so I would say I would not be surprised if the Heat shot in a similar vein in other games. Um, it wouldn't shock me at all. In this game, we only had Tyler Harrow, who uh, made four threes, uh, shot 33%. And we had Duncan Robinson actually making four threes after... He made six threes in game two. So Duncan Robinson has been lights out from three. But aside from that, um, they very much struggled. And what one player would I pinpoint um, as to who, who had an, like, an extravagant, let's say, performance on the defensive end is um, Jason Tatum in this game. Uh, sorry, not Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown, sorry, who had three steals. And the three steals he did have were ridiculous. Um to be frank, or to be fair, he did actually steal. Uh, uh, not steal. He cheated on defense. So he anticipated the pass and got in the passing lane. But both times, he, uh, or should I say two out of the three times, that's what he did. He anticipated the pass, stole it, went for the fast break and laid it in. And the third steal was... Um, I remember what the third steal was. But anyway, my point here is they were fantastic on the perimeter. Gordon Haywood actually had three steals. And despite the fact that he only had six points in this game, you saw there was a noticeable difference. And what happened here is what I'd like to see in the rest of the series with the with um, Gordon Haywood actually coming off the bench. I talked about his return in the last episode and how... Uh, the coach was um, coach Brad Stevens was going to share minutes with Marcus Smart, and what I saw from Gordon Hayward in this game is what I saw from the Lakers with Rondo and LeBron with their dynamic, which is that Gordon Hayward should act as the secondary facilitator for this team coming off the bench because he was the secondary playmaker this season for this team. He actually became very used to that role during the regular season. It seems like. That's what coach Brad Stevens wants from him. So I'd like to see basically a similar uh, strategy going forward. I'd like to see Gordon Hayward. He actually still ended up playing 30 minutes despite this being the first game back for him. Um, I'd like to see him come off the bench and play as a facilitator while we have Marcus Smart playing elite defense. And in all fairness, also scoring very effectively at 20 points. Um, 10 of 10 from the free throw line, which is kind of unlike Marcus. He's not a bad free throw shooter. But anyway, I'd like to see the strategy going forward. And I think this extra dimension that Gordon Hayward brings for this team will hold them in very good stead going forward. And at this point, I can't really predict who's those going are, to win this Those series. are fair points that you just made. Um, two things I want to focus on. Firstly, do you think that uh, there was a lot of claims that Boston managed to work out Miami's zone defense in game three. Yeah, yeah. Is that right. is that something yeah. you saw and maybe was that, you've mentioned uh, the effectiveness of Hayward there. Was that because of Hayward and does, you know, Eric Spolscher, does he continue to move away from the zone now or does he bring it back in what was so effective in games one and two? Uh, you know, it's extremely difficult. And I guess, um, uh, yeah, so, so, so w- what do you think about that? Yeah, very, very good point. Um, 
I would definitely stick with it because part of the reason why Miami actually came back in the first two games was because they then switched to the zone. And it was actually in both of those third quarters in the first two games where they started to come back and after they made that switch. So I'd say for game three, um, perhaps they had they overly relied on it and it did seem as if the Celtics in that third quarter, they didn't have the same struggles against that zone that they had in the first two games. I can't tell you exactly what the reason is. Like, I did see that they were starting to figure some things out in terms of ball movement. Um, Jason Tatum had a couple of really nice drives uh, against the interior of that zone defense. But uh, from a technical standpoint, I can't pinpoint because it was like a limited um, amount of time we saw it as well. I can't pinpoint exactly what they'd figured out, but it did seem as if they'd figured some things out. And uh, despite saying that, yes, um, I reiterate what I said earlier on. I'd still like to see them continue with it because they were one of the teams in the regular season who used that 2-3 zone uh, the most and they were very, very effective and efficient with it. But they just need to make sure they don't become overly reliant on it. They can't manufacture these spectacular comebacks that they've had in uh, the first two games and expect that to continue every time by then just switching to a zone defense. Well, it's interesting, so, just, just a little bit, um, because we're not going to obviously take too much from from them. But the Athletics' Jared Weiss did a really interesting film breakdown of what, how the Celtics did get past that 2-3 zone in particular. And um, it takes quite a lot of explanation because uh, Spolstra does run quite a complex defensive system in there. But essentially, Boston puts two shooters against the sideline opposite the ball so that when Miami does load up to the ball, someone for Boston generally is open on the other side of the floor. Right. Um, Boston also needs yeah. someone who's going to cut from the wings to the middle and almost break that zone down. Um, so, so, again, yeah, yeah. you can read more on the Athletic. We're not going to take too much from them on the fair dealings, of course. As a lawyer, you know this uh, in particular. Um, but <laughs> no, you're, you're right. It'll be interesting to see how Spolstra adjusts in game four. Um of course, game four tonight, they've had a bit of rest. And I think, especially the Celtics, I think all of their starters played 40-plus minutes in game three. And considering they went seven games against the Raptors, that's that sort of much-needed rest that they haven't had yet so far in the playoffs, where they've been pretty much playing every other day. So yeah, perhaps we'll, perhaps yeah, we'll see a rested Boston side. What about the West? Are we ready to move on to the West yet? Or have you got any more comments on Boston-Miami? Um, I wanted to ask what you just think about this Miami team, just the ridiculous number of comebacks that they've had in the playoffs so far. Do you just want to speak about why you think that is? Um, is it down to, you know, Eric Spolstra's coaching? Is it down to um, maybe Jimmy Butler's leadership? Is it down to the characters they have generally in that team? Maybe the veteran leadership that they have uh, would you pinpoint one of those factors as being the predominant factor? Would you say it's like a combination? Yeah, of no, I think, things? well, the biggest factor was the front office because they're the ones who brought Jimmy Butler in and got that important playoff closer. You know, you look at, we'll, we'll bring it back to the Raptors, who, with the exception of maybe Kyle Lowry in a few different games, didn't have a closer um, this series. But, you know, you bring in Jimmy Butler and such a good deal that, you know, uh, 
that's that's one of the reasons why even when down 20 points and even when the Celtics do have a tendency to give up these big leads, you must have that guy on the other team who's going to drive it. Uh, and the, the, the veteran presence of, alongside, let's not discount Goran Dragic. But secondly, I think the depth that they do have means Eric Spolstra can implement a number of different combinations of lineups, right? When you've got players like uh, Kendrick Nunn and Kelly Olynyk, and, um, name some for me, you know, Duncan Robinson off the bench, you know, who's been fucking proud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andre Godala, we haven't talked exactly. about I mean, at all. Yeah, really, I mean, when you've got those, of, you can you not only have that depth and keep players fresh, but you've got those different combinations. You've got different lineups you can play. Your your tall lineup, your fast, your death, your death lineup, of course, at the end. Different situations. So it's something that, except for the Nuggets, who of course we'll move on to, it's a it's a luxury that a lot of the teams don't have. So, and Spol- I mean, Spolster is a smart coach. You know, he's. He's the coach right now with the most titles. Am I right? Apart from Steve Kerr and Pop. Is that right in the league? Two titles? Oh, I That's did it. not know that, but let's work it out. I mean, he's got two titles. Yeah, he's got two. Is that right? Steve Kerr's got three. And then, yeah, I don't know if Pop. any other coaches do have titles. That's a really good point. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, he's a, he's a clever guy. He, he, I know he had LeBron to do it, but... He is still one of the best coaches in the league. So, uh, it's also obviously that he's got the yeah, facilities sure. to do it. He's got the closer and he's got the depth. Yeah. Great. Uh, Should we move on to the, uh, yeah, the Lakers? Series. I mean, we'll, I, mean uh, I guess we, we wow. uh, the clip at the start of the podcast, of course, was Anthony Davis launching a three over Nikola Jokic. It was beautiful, yeah. just in slow motion as well. Um, but I want to get straight on to, we just discussed depth, of course. Um, the Lakers had the luxury of bringing on Rajon Rondo just for that play itself. And of course, he said after the game that he literally made eye contact with every single player on his team before doing the pass. And, well, the rest is history there. Rajon Rondo is pretty much working out to be one of the most effective Lakers players in this side. Is that is that an overstatement with LeBron and AD still delivering? Or No. No, I, I mean, it's very easy to say as well, just with how spectacular it's been in these first two games. But one thing I'd like, like to mention when we talk about that Anthony Davis play is that we need to put respect on Frank Vogel's name because it was so smart of him to draw that up. Why? Three minutes prior to that, Anthony Davis made almost an identical shot. The difference being he made a step back jumper um, from the exact same position on the floor. This was with three minutes left in the fourth quarter. So maybe when he was drawing up that play, he he thought, who's going to close the game now? They were only down one point, bear in mind. So he could have gone for maybe LeBron driving to the rim. Of course, there was only two seconds left. Um, so, yeah, maybe going to LeBron for a jumper. But he must have had a conversation with Anthony Davis then, asked him, would you be comfortable with taking that same shot you just made? And the play he dropped was very interesting because um, Anthony Davis received a screen off the ball. And the player marking him, I think, despite the correct intentions of the Nuggets coach in, when it comes to Mason Plumley and plugging him, um, into the rotation. Of course, he played in the first game as well, but he played way more minutes the second game. Why? 
because of the size mismatch that the Lakers had in that first game. And so he realised he needed to have another big on the floor. But Frank Vogel must have realised, look, Miles Plumley isn't as mobile as some of the other players on the floor. So I like getting this action for Anthony Davis because Miles Plumley may get tangled up on the screen or he may not be able to follow Anthony Davis. And that's exactly what happened. Jokic, after the game, said there was actually a miscommunication and Plumley uh, basically thought there was going to be a switch, but there wasn't one. So maybe there was a mental miscommunication or um, a mental um, error there that Frank Vogel couldn't have um, anticipated. But nonetheless, I think he drew up almost the perfect play for that situation. And so we've got to give props to him. Yep. No, can't, can't, can't disagree with that at all. Um, on the Nuggets side, you have heartbreak there because it so easily could have been 1-1 and a completely different series. Of course, you know that the when the Nuggets do go 3-1 down, they develop some sort of superpower and we'd love to sort of see that again to see if it is third time lucky for the Nuggets. But do, do you see any way back now that it's 2-0? Um, do you think that was the game that the Nuggets had to take in order to have a chance in this series? Or do you think, you know, it's only two, you know, it's still open. It's now, you know, best of best of whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, paint defence for this team is looking very, very tricky. Jokic, as we know, is not the best defender, especially when it comes to um, blocking at the rim or protecting the rim. And the Lakers are taking full advantage of that, not not just because they're playing McGee and Howard more extended minutes compared to earlier on in the playoffs, but also because players like Rondo and LeBron are so effective at throwing lobs to those guys. Even in game two, you even had Casey Pre uh, throwing a lob to... It was either McGill or Howard. I can't remember which uh, which one it was. But really, they're taking absolute advantage of Jokic being out on the floor as the five. Um, can they stop that? Maybe they can just get into the paint more, or clog the paint more, make sure there's more help defense. But there were times where there were more where there was more de- uh, paint defense in this game. But especially against LeBron, for example. But LeBron was making a variety of circus-like finishes in this game. I don't know if you saw, Kamel. He had one ridiculous, um, I like to call it a spinny one off the glass, off his right hand, but um, just showing that he doesn't need to rely on just, you know, that power, uh, power play dunking that he was doing in the first game. Um, so, yeah, I think they just need to clog the lane more. They can rely on the Lakers having to make open the jumpers and three-pointers because uh, although LeBron and um, Anthony Davis have been shooting well, the rest of this team at various points during these playoffs have been kind of cold. Some of the 3.9, we look at Danny Green, KCP's had his struggles. So I would say that's the best chance they have going forward. They need to make sure on that defensive end that they don't give as many um, easy buckets uh, in the interior and how do they do that? They just clog the interior and hope that the open three-point shots that they give up aren't uh, made. How by the effective team. do you think the reintegration of Dwight Howard, primarily to defend Jokic, has been? This is, of course, despite Jokic, I believe, scoring all the Nuggets points in the last, I think it was 12 points in the final 
four minutes or so. Yeah, I think it was 10 points. Dwight Howard was is being brought in specifically for that role. You know, he wasn't favoured in previous series, particularly up ahead of, uh, you know, other centres. But uh, do you think do you think that's effective? And do you think that it's hurting the Nuggets a lot? Or yeah. do you think Jokic is still feasting? No, no, an ama- amazing point. Um, no, that's definitely, definitely hurt the Nuggets. Um, the fact that, you know, Vogel knows what he's doing, plugging him into the game. And aside from uh, the defence he plays on Jokic, the, I've talked about Howard's and McGee's offence. Um, for example, Howard, I think in the first game, he he ended up with 13 points, four or five shooting. Um, basically did everything that he needed to do. But another aspect we can't forget is also foul trouble because uh, Jokic did get into foul trouble in game one. And that's in no small part due to the pressure he was being placed uh, under on the defensive end. And that is actually a big reason as to why the Nuggets, I think, ran out of steam in the first game. They started off really well, but... Um, both uh, Jokic and Murray got into foul trouble. And despite some Denver fans, I saw a post which was like, yeah, the refs just won the Lakers game one. Um, That's probably not that accurate, but um, we must bear that in mind as well. With with the kind of um, offense that Howard plays, if Jokic gets into foul trouble, that also means on the offensive end, he's more reluctant to um, handle the ball, drive, kick out to teammates because there'll be Lakers players looking to um, take the charge as well. So, yeah, Howard's been an amazing addition. And I think to round things off, the question I have for you is what do you see going forward in terms of how the Nuggets can approach um, their offence? Because... Do you think they should continue to look to Jokic? Jokic has still been very effective offensively. Or do you think they need to just rely on Murray having these kind of spectacular 40, 50-point games? Um, or do you think they should you know, be sharing the ball? What do you think the best way for them going forward is offensively, well, Kamal? I mean, we've seen from previous series that it's not a fluke when Murray has those sort of games because he's purely got the ability to do it and do it at least a few times a series. However, you know, you you have to look at the, the, the sideshow because like the Miami Heat, Denver, one of their strengths is their depth. But it seems people like Michael Porter Jr., Gary Harris, Monte Morris, they're not delivering when they're on the floor, you know. Murray and Jokic are playing and they're scoring, but the, the sideshow almost isn't delivering. And... I just think Murray needs some help on that aspect. Because, of course, once you have help then, uh, you know, say Murray gets doubled, he can rely on flinging it out to MPJ, maybe, who is a guaranteed bucket in the corner, for example. Yeah. But because he's not getting that at the moment, uh, it's, it's been difficult. And it's, it's hard to say this, of course, about a Canadian player, the, the, the Canadian representative left in these playoffs. But, yeah, he, he, he does need some help. He does need some help. Yeah, I think on that note, we can wrap yeah, well, things um, up. And, we should wrap uh, it up. We'll wrap up the NBA especially. But, of course, um, we are an, a basketball podcast based in the UK. And it's time to give a little shout-out to London Lions, who today made their European okay. debut. And 
guess which two former NBA players are on their roster? This is taking no. me completely by surprise. Well, I didn't realize Kamel was going to speak about this. Well, DeAndre Liggins, who, of course, was most recently on the Cavs in 2015 and 17, and then yeah. the Mavs, and then the Bucks, and then the Pelicans. He's playing for them. And uh, Byron Mullins, uh, who was a journeyman around the league since he was drafted. He was drafted Not by Dallas. Game. He was a first-round pick in 2009. Um, he's, a, he's a 31-year-old British player. Uh, he, but yeah, he, he jumped around the league, including a stint on the Charlotte Bobcats. Uh, he was also in their team. Unfortunately, the Lions today fell 77-73 to Neptune, Hungary, um, which means they'll have to find their way into Europe a different way. But just a little shout out to them, and we'll definitely keep an eye on them as we go through. Of course, there's some former NBA stars there. Um, uh, basketball, of course, always a rising sport in this country. So, something to keep a little eye out for, for sure. that. A question, Kamel. Would that to qualify to a European competition? Like, not the Eurobasket, but like the competition uh, below? Yeah, that's for ba- yeah, the, the Basketball Champions League, yeah. Uh, right, right, uh, right, but yeah, right. 77-73. They literally fell at the last. Um, so, it's a bit unfortunate, but, you know, that's what happens when you don't have the likes of Ovi Soko in your team. <laughs> very true yeah on let's that wrap note, it up um thanks yeah thanks Kamel for joining me um we, what a week we had this week I mean I think in my opinion this has been the most exciting playoffs that I've seen potentially ever in my lifetime in the past decade certainly been so many ups and downs so many surprises and obviously we hope that this continues so thanks for joining yeah me this it's week, just Kamel. I mean such a huge shame that uh the Raptors aren't involved in such a exciting playoffs anymore. But we'll enjoy, we enjoyed the journey, yeah. and now we can watch yeah. the rest of the games objectively. Great. Catch you guys next week.